So my co-founder, Nick Payne, Dr. Nick Payne, his dad is an engineer and his mom is an artist. And so that synthesis of science and art is really part of, I think, the Austin story as well. The opportunity here in Austin is pushing the future and building things of value, but also combining that with creativity and art in a new way and capturing the imagination about the world we want to create in the future. So I always say that is that to me that Nick always represented Austin airing and art together and that really just aligned with everything that I wanted to do as well. Welcome to Austinpreneur, our show about the stories that made Austin, Texas a global hub for startups. The show is produced by Capital Factory and hosted by me, Nick Spiller. As a reminder, by joining Capital Factory, you can plug into the ecosystem where the stories on the show were set. Learn more about us at CapitalFactory.com. When did you first think you might be the CEO of a robotics company? Never. (laughs) No, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I was always fascinated with the future and wanted to be a part of building the future, but never knew how I was going to do it. So for me personally, it's been a journey of self-discovery and and figuring out how to be what I wanted to be when I grew up and still doing that. What were your favorite subjects in school growing up? Recess? No, just kidding. Classic answer. That's what my son says when I ask him what his favorite part of school is. No, favorite things were math. I always loved math. I loved history. Really, math and history were my two favorite subjects. Math I was always good at, always fascinated by numbers. And then history I loved to learn about how we got here. I always loved great biographies of people that did significant things in history. I always had a knack for engineering and building things. My granddad used to build furniture, so I was fascinated by this idea that you could build things and always wanted to build something and wasn't as much into science. And I think a lot of that had to do maybe with some of my teachers Mm. until later, until really diving deep in the internet and then became very fascinated with technology and how it could be applied, and then really understanding kind of how things work. What did you do outside of the classroom growing up? Outside of the classroom, I, I've always had hobbies that I would really dive into obsessively. So my first passion was music. So I started in a band when I was in sixth grade. We had a band. That was our first band. And I always played music growing up. So I was in several different bands coming up. When what my did best you friend. play in the band? Guitar. We played a variety of different instruments. Started with rhythm guitar, but I also played drums on some of the songs mm. uh, as well. Bass on a few as well. I've always had that love for making and creating things. And then I played basketball. Mm. And so music and basketball were my two passions, but rollerbladed, skateboard, BMX biking, all the things to <laughs> learn, and as I went through it, yeah, you have a like a little bit of a left brain, right brain thing going on. And, yeah, know, like history, science, yeah, music, sports, both sides of these coins. Yeah, I think to me that's where the magic happens. Actually, the combination of the left and the right brain. So, actually, that 
kind of gets into Aptronic. So my co-founder, Nick Payne, Dr. Nick Payne, his dad is an engineer and his mom is an artist. And so that synthesis of science and art is really part of, I think, the Austin story as well. The opportunity here in Austin is pushing the future and building things of value, but also combining that with creativity and art in a new way and capturing the imagination about the world we want to create in the future. So I always say that is that to me that Nick always represented Austin hearing and art together and that really just aligned with everything that I wanted to do as well. And so this is a philosophy held by one of my role models, Steve Jobs. A role model might be a strong word, but someone I look up to and yeah. I think he was all about the innovation being the process of infusing humanities into technology and making it work for us as people not just the ones and o's of technology yeah Steve Jobs is a huge inspiration I feel like it's cliche but that's part of what made me want to be an entrepreneur the think different campaign and commercials when I saw those it just hit me right in the soul and I thought wow, there's, you can create things for people. And when I got my first Apple product, I wanted to sleep with it at night. I felt a, an energy coming from it. And a lot of my entrepreneurial journey is to understand that. Like, how do you build something that is so powerful and can make people feel something more? So yeah, I'm very passionate about that idea. And if you actually look at what technology is, right? So what does the word even mean? It's the application of knowledge. And I think it, I think the whole story about all of this is humans are tool makers. We're learning about the way that the world works, about the laws of nature, about physics, about the core way that the world works. And then we're trying to figure out how to apply that to improve the human condition. And so it is about humanities at the end of the day. It's about being human. And I think that great companies are the ones that can capture the essence of that. Mm. And art is about telling other humans, I'm here too. I see what, and I think that's like the connection that we make on a human level is that if you get it right, you can make somebody feel something. We're all trying to understand our place in the world and our existence and trying to maybe build a better future than the one that we've inherited and to me that's the whole game and the whole goal and that's really why I wanted to be an entrepreneur at the end of the day. Our co-founder and chairman at Capital Factory, Gordon Doherty, is a longtime mentor to Jeff and current board director for Aptronic. He took a run at a at a startup before Aptronic. Actually, he spent time with Aptronic when they were still in the university, still working on the early technology in the invention stage, I'll say. And then he took a run at a startup. It was in the political arena, political tech, voting-related technology. Made a run at it. It was one of those startups that didn't work out, and that happens all the time. But guess what? A, he learned a lot, and B, he got the bug. Before we get into Aptronic, will you tell us about the first startup you put through Capital Factory? Think voting was a really tough problem. And really what we were trying to do at Think Voting was what I called 21st century democracy. And so the idea behind Think Voting was we have all these modern tools that we use in every other aspect of our life. You have Amazon to shop, you have all of these sophisticated technologies to make any other decision. But as citizens, 
it's really archaic, the tools that we have. We really don't have any tools. There's, I wonder why that is. That's a lesson in the whole experience. And I, was, <laughs> I think I was naive going into it. But the goal was to create tools for citizens to allow us to engage in a modern way in democracy. I, we still write, in Texas, we still have to write our voter registration on a, the same piece of paper my parents used back in the 60s and 70s. And I thought, man, what I was realizing was that we have the future that we want is in our reach. So we now have the technology to do anything. And when you have the technology to do anything, where you aim becomes more important than what you achieve because you could do anything. And so I thought, okay, if you want to solve healthcare, if you want to solve transportation, climate change, energy, whatever sector is, we now have the tools and technologies to start solving this. But what we don't have is we don't have leadership. And we don't have leaders that really understand what's coming and what's possible. And I wanted to get involved. And when I tried to start getting involved, I realized, wow, this is this is like nothing else that I participate in. This is archaic and difficult and convoluted and there's pieces and pockets of information everywhere and so I thought if we really want to build the future that we all know is possible we got to get the young people that understand technology that have a vision for the future we got to get them voting and my best summary of my experience in politics is that everybody was cynical and I was really a lot of kind of negative energy frankly, coming from bright-eyed entrepreneurial world and then getting into politics with no real background in it at all. And the saying that I have from that is, and I heard this somewhere else, behind every cynic is a disappointed idealist. And so what I realized is that a lot of people, almost everyone I met in politics, got in because they wanted to make change. But it turns out politics is an industry. It's a business, really. Jeff's experience in the political world undoubtedly shaped his future in robotics. To solve the big problems of humanity, Jeff realized he needed to create the ultimate tool for humans. In the wake of this realization, Aptronic has emerged as one of the world's most promising ventures in general purpose robotics. So the mission of Aptronic is really what we say is build robots for humans. And it's actually what I'm saying is core to the whole idea is that humans are tool makers and we've evolved over millions of years and we've built tools that help us do more with less and my view is that we're now at a really exciting juncture in human history where we've got enough knowledge to where we can finally build machines that can do things that we can do that can build we can build tools for ourselves the ultimate tool for ourselves and as humans, our most valuable resource is time. And what we're trying to do at Abtronic is we're trying to give us back more time. And I think that's the great promise and opportunity of this new field of AI and robotics is that it will now free humans up to spend time the way that they would like to. And robots will do all the things that we don't want to do. What are some of these initial chunks of time that, that Aptronic wants to free up with your robots? So this is a tough problem, and science fiction has promised us this for a long time. You, robotics is the synthesis of a whole variety of different disciplines, which is what makes it a challenge. You have computer science, you have computation happening, 
you have electrical engineering, we're dealing with electrons and, and motor control and things like that. You have mechanical design, building structures and actuators and other things. And, and you're putting computer science, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, and art and industrial design all together to create what I view as the ultimate tool. And so what we're doing and the way we explain it in robotics is we're moving from structured tasks to unstructured tasks. Mm. What does that mean? So traditionally, robots were very dumb. So what you're doing is you're programming a robot to just run a script, and it's called position control. So you're saying, go to position one, go to position two, go to position three, open your gripper. And then you just hit play, and it just does this same script over and over. There's no intelligence in it at all. If that's all a robot can do, and we've had robots that can do that since the 60s, really the industrial robotics industry really kicked off more in the 80s, but the first industrial robot went into a General Motors factory back in the 60s. There's a whole kind of story there. It's my hometown. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think it was in Dearborn was mm -hmm. where, it, where it went, the Unimate arm. But if you look at the sort of things that you can apply a robot to if it's just running a script and pre-programmed, it's really limited application. So manufacturing was really the only place you saw robots for 20, 30 years. The rest of the world is very dynamic and it's moving and it's adjusting. So if you have this, you need an environment that you can really control and you can control everything that's coming into the robot for those robots to work. So that's a structured world. Right. Call that 5% of the total market. 95% of the market is more unstructured, meaning that it's variable and it's dynamic and things are changing around it. So now you need robots to do different things. You need robots that can adapt. You need robots that can work with and around humans because there's going to be humans in the loop. You need robots that are much more intelligent to be able to adapt. And so this is what Aptronic is doing is robots for the unstructured world. Mm. And you can think about the way the market's evolving is that we're moving across this paradigm. So maybe on one bookend, structured, is robots for manufacturing. Think automotive manufacturing or things that are highly structured, repeatable processes over time. Another bookend is a robot for the home. Rosie the robot or a robot to take care of your grandmother or a robot to take care of you as you get older. That's the most unstructured. Everybody's home is different, has different needs. It's the most dynamic environment. And so our goal at Aptronic is to move from where we're at today to this kind of bright future off in the distance, which is like a robot in every home. From logistics, you move towards construction, you move towards retail, delivery, and then eventually you find your way into the home. What are some of the big wins you've had since then? We built an, a couple Iron Man suits for US SOCOM, so full body force augmentation exoskeletons. They wanted a, a full body robotic suit for special forces operators to wear. Gives so, you, SOCOM Special Operations Command. Correct. So to give you superhuman strength and endurance was the idea. Seeing the robot walk was a big moment. Our first dynamic walking system, we built a liquid-cooled system that went to Dr. Sentis's lab called Draco. That was a big moment. I remember you brought the suit or maybe just the we legs. Brought both. Yeah, we, we showed it both. to Mark X. Esper, who was yeah. Secretary of the Army. Yeah, we had the liquid-cooled lower body legs, and then we had the exoskeleton as well. Yeah, yeah first walking was a huge moment. 
the exoskeleton, and then I've had us. We've been very lucky throughout. We've worked our butts off, but we built this robot for this other group, Astra, and then the partnership with NASA now to build Apollo and a lot of things. So, well, yeah, what's going on with NASA? So we started off like you can kind of think of the genesis of Aptronic as really a the commercialization of technology that was developed with NASA, actually the University of Texas, but Luis's lab, Luis and Nick went to go work with NASA Johnson Space Center, the DARPA Robotics Challenge, to build a robot called Valkyrie. Mm-hmm. Valkyrie is still, in my opinion, one of the best robots in the world. It looks like a superhero. And Subtronic was spun out of that. They had these actuators, motor controllers, and we were commercializing that post DARPA Robotics Challenge. But the kind of thing that happened during the DARPA Robotics Challenge is if you look it up, that was the kind of height of inflated expectations and to the trough of disillusionment, right? That was the, uh, the robots weren't ready for prime time. They were expensive. They weren't capable. There's a funny sort of story of the robot was trying to drill a hole into a wall and it got coordinates wrong and it drilled a hole into its chest. A lot of robots falling over in a funny way. So what we were trying to do at Abtronic was take what we saw as very promising technology and move it from R&D to be able to scale it and get it out into the world. And what this new partnership with NASA really represents is maybe the culmination of that initial journey and the beginning of the next one. So now we have seven years of work the robots are now moving from R&D to production, to the real world. And the partnership with NASA is to basically build production-ready versions of these systems that will initially do work terrestrially. So NASA's interest is to both support and grow the general-purpose robotics industry in the U.S., so to build the ecosystem here, and that paves the foundation to plan space missions into the future. Yeah, it's the full circle of the story as we started with NASA, teaming back up with NASA, some of the most brilliant minds in the world, and taking everything that they've learned and thinking about how to build this new type of machine that we can get out into the world, and then one day to the space station and the moon and Mars and wherever we go from there. As CEO of Aptronic, what has been the most challenging situation you faced? The challenge of robotics, as I mentioned before, is that it's so many different things. You said if a startup's like running a marathon, robotics startup is a decathlon. And we're making our own electronics, our own motor controllers, our own actuators, our own full systems. And then on top of that, you have all the software and the AI that's required to get the robots to do useful things. That full stack is very complex and interdisciplinary and requires a lot of work and structure. There's also robots have a lot of parts, and so there's supply chain. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's been the challenge over the last few years. And so it's just a complicated thing that takes a long time. And I think finding the near-term things that we could do while preserving and maintaining the long-term upside has been the challenge. I think These are big risks, long-term bets that require long-term thinking. And I think really just screwing all of that so that we can't just build one robot that does a cool demo, but thinking about really building these at scale 
that's been the challenge. And then dealing with all the uncertainty as you go through it to try to navigate, how do you keep the dream alive of what could be created, but still have a business in the near term? I think that's one of the things I'm really proud of, but was also really difficult. We built Aptronic on revenue and contracts. Yeah. So we were selling robots. You didn't raise $50 million right off the gate? No, we didn't. No. Maybe. No. Must be nice, but no, we didn't. Or not. Yeah. You know, it worked out now, but it was a hard journey. Struggle. We were making peanuts in the early days, barely paying ourselves anything and pouring everything into the technology over many years. And this was far from a certain outcome. A lot of people, when we said we wanted to build humanoid robots, it's, okay, what do you want to be when you grow up? And there's this struggle between, okay, do you, especially when raising money, do we pitch this business we have that's revenue, or do we pitch this massive vision for the future? How do we tie it together? Yeah, I would say it's all hard, but we've had a particularly tough path because we we had to build and deliver systems in the early days with very few people. We've done, if you compare us to our competitors out in the market, they've far more capital, sometimes a lot longer as a team, and we've done it in a different way that really was a byproduct of our ecosystem. And so, yeah, it's been a... So you were able to get these, I think, some government contracts, some build that actuator business, and... Yeah, in all fairness, Boston Dynamics was bootstrapped in the 90s all the way through with government contracting. But it's not typical in this world, especially besides Boston Dynamics, any other robotics company that's out yeah, there. I know that about Boston Dynamics. Yeah, so they were they built that company off of large government contracts. And we have a lot of respect for what, what they did and are doing. Different thesis and philosophy than what we built Uptronic for. We had the benefit of learning from them. Yeah. But yeah, we built the company actuator by actuator, brick by brick, and it feels like we've done all of that to get to the starting line, which the starting line is the real ability to produce and manufacture and get these robots out into the world at scale. Thanks for listening to this episode of Austinpreneur. Don't forget to check out CapitalFactory.com to learn more about us and join our community. If you have thoughts about the show or ideas on how we can work together, reach out to me directly via email, nickspiller at CapitalFactory.com. Shout out to the Capital Factory Dream Team for making this podcast possible, and special thanks to Aaron Handworker, who masterfully recorded and edited the show. Come back next week for a whole new episode.